Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, what's the real tell on a defense budget increase? To me, the, the real signal on the wall was, uh, you know, the, the Senate Armed Services Committee and behind a closed door vote, uh, you know, reportedly the vote was 18 to 1 to raise defense by 20, $25 billion. Building blocks from the pandemic to help you prepare for the next crisis. The only organizations that were really prepared for this were the ones that had invested in a digital strategy because we had this perfect storm where demand was increasing for government services and yet the people delivering those services were all of a sudden working from home. And the partnerships that could make or break your agency's agile goals. If the IT organization has one set of mandates and incentives and yet their partners in finance and procurement and HR aren't aligned with the same incentives, you can find that there's there's a mismatch and it can be hard to have that agility. It's Thursday, October 28th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Two doctors at the National Institutes of Health are the federal employees of the year for 2021. Dr. Kizmikia Corbett and Dr. Barney Graham of the Vaccine Research Center at NIH won for their work on COVID-19 vaccines. They'll receive their awards at the Service to America Medal Ceremony at the Kennedy Center Thursday night. The Defense Information Systems Agency will reorganize because of complaints it was too cumbersome to deal with. Lieutenant General Robert Skinner says the agency will move from two centers to four. The official titles of the four centers will be the Digital Capabilities and Security Center, the Hosting and Compute Center, the Operation and Infrastructure Center, and the Enterprise Integration and Innovation Center. The second action plan for the federal data strategy is out from the Federal Chief Data Officers Council. Dave Nitschapier is writing about it on fedscoop.com. Dave, welcome. What is new here in the second action plan? Welcome. So what's new here is that, uh, well, first of all, this was an action plan that we expected in December. It it didn't come out in December, obviously. Uh, It's just getting released in October. That's because, or at least OMB has stated, that's because uh, the transition, the presidential transition delayed some things. What's new here, though, is that uh, this action plan builds on the actions of the previous plan, which, while it wasn't completely accomplished by agencies, did make a lot of headway in certain areas such as data governance and uh, and data skills development among the workforce. And so this one picks up where that one left off. And, and it has a lot of agencies that identified data that they needed to, uh, to accomplish and, and gather, uh, now taking it a step forward and maybe putting that into inventories and things like that. You have details on each of the actions that are listed here in your story on fedscoop.com. I commend that to folks who want to learn more about that. But I note that you quote from this document in your story this action plan establishes these aspirational milestones in order to encourage agencies to make steady progress on the plans actions and milestones i don't see any orders there this sounds like we think this is a good idea if you keep working toward these goals you think that's a fair interpretation of the intent here dave yeah, I do. I, I will say that there are certain actions that are required of CFO Act agencies. Uh, so those agencies will be expected to accomplish these things. But generally speaking, uh, it's recommended for other agencies that they accomplish these goals, but they're by no means mandatory. All right. As I mentioned, your story's on fedscoop.com right now. It's a top story, and I appreciate you joining me to talk about it, Dave. Thanks for having me. You can read more about all these stories and many others at fedscoop.com and cyberscoop.com. 
leading government cyber experts like the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Jen Easterly, will join me at Palo Alto's Public Sector Ignite virtual conference Thursday, November 18th. I hope you'll be there, too. You'll learn about key cybersecurity issues impacting agencies like zero trust, endpoint detection and response, and secure remote access. You can see the agenda and sign up now at ignite.paloaltonetworks.com. The budget battles on Capitol Hill that have agencies working through a continuing resolution could wind up with a longer-term solution than anybody expected. Senate appropriators are working on a two-year budget deal instead of one for just this year. Roman Schweizer is Managing Director for Aerospace and Defense in the Washington Research Group for Cowan. Roman, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You wrote in your most recent brief, Roll Call reported last week that senior Senate appropriators have begun negotiations about a discretionary spending deal and that a second year could be tacked on. This has been our base case all year. What cues did you see that I don't think other people saw that a two-year deal could be coming down the road, Roman? Welcome. Well, Francis, uh, thanks for having me. It's great, it's great to be with you as always. And uh, look, I mean, uh, I have to be honest, I'm a creature of habit like most, and Congress tends to be the same. Um, you know, the folks who uh, remember the 2011 Budget Control Act, long live the uh, Budget Control Act, um, you know, that's, that's the, the, uh, the modus operandi that Congress got into is, is negotiating two-year deals um, around non-discretionary spending. Sometimes we had debt reduction, sometimes maybe defense did a little bit better, you know, really depended on the balance of power within the chambers of Congress. Um, and so, you know, really, I think that's the sort of muscle memory of Congress right now. Uh, and look, the other thing to keep in mind is that nothing is going to fundamentally change next fiscal year either, right? Uh, it's, it's more efficient to have one big spending fight once. Um, the, the Democrats are going to have a, a, very, a super thin majority, right? I think it's three seats these days in the House. Uh, it's technically no seats. It's 50 plus one. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we could do a whole podcast on just the historic nature of, of how close that is and, and perhaps even how big a mandate that means. But I mean, that's going to be the state of play next year. Right. And everybody's going to want to go home late summer or early fall to campaign. Uh, there's even the possibility that maybe you get appropriations done by October 1 and, and, and Congress people can go back and campaign on actually accomplishing their core function in life as funding the federal government by, by the October 1 start. Um, so I think, I think that's where we're at. I, I think to me, just uh, the one thing I'd add is that, you know, to me, everything else has, uh, has sucked the oxygen out of Washington, all the legislative attention. And there's a lot of other important things, uh, China, a lot of China legislation on, in the queue uh, as well. Um, but we need to get past infrastructure reconciliation. Um, you know, it looks like there might even be, you know, uh, meetings next week between senior appropriators to finally uh, get, get some uh, rubber on the road. I don't want to get people's hopes up, but Uh, October 1st appropriations next year could be an absolute dream scenario that we haven't seen in Washington for a long time. If we stay on the same pace that we have since the BCA came into existence, you write in this brief, what has changed is that defense spending could be up more than many had expected post-November and has swung from the prospect of dire cuts to real growth. That's another case for optimism that nobody really saw coming down the path, Roman. 
Correct. And I mean, I, I think if you sort of go back to uh, uh, less than a year ago uh, after the uh, the presidential uh, elections, um, you know, Democrats control the government and uh, uh, senators Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders and, and progressives in the House are very loud uh, or were very loud and still continue to be about real cuts. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Senator Warren was pretty plain about a 10 percent cut uh, to defense. Um, and then the Biden administration sort of shocked a lot of, I think it's, uh, or at least the, the core progressives, um, by suggesting a defense budget that was going to be up 1.6% or essentially flat with inflation. Uh, and as we've gotten into this, you know, I mean, to me, the, the real signal on the wall was, uh, you know, the, the Senate Armed Services Committee and behind a closed door vote, uh, you know, reportedly the vote was 18 to 1 to raise defense by $20, $25 billion. Uh, the one uh, nay vote being uh, Senator Warren, who is also on the SASC. Um, and so, you know, look, you know, you know, many of your listeners know the way the the, the rules of the, of, of the Congress work. Um, the Republicans have, le uh, you know, uh, leverage here, you know, given the 60 vote threshold, um, you know, they're gonna use it wherever they can. Um, and so I think when you tack on a 5% increase, potential increase, uh, which is what the Democrats on the Senate Appropriations Committee, that was their opening offer, right? So that's pretty, you know, that's an interesting negotiating position, or maybe they just want to cut to, you know, cut to it quickly. Um, you kind of, if, if you start to think about a second year, well, then what would that second year kind of look like? Um, is it another 5% year? Is it a 3% year? Is it, you know, what could it be? Um, and then, you know, and then we get into the midterm and longer term scenarios of what what does Congress look after the midterms, right? How does that balance of power reset? Or, you know, does one house go, you know, one one chamber, uh, you know, potentially the House go to the Republicans? Uh, and then you reset that spending balance of power formula all over again. You write, we expect the contours of a spending deal to take shape in the coming weeks, although possibly not before the December 3rd continuing resolution expires. Would you expect then shortly after that, maybe just a, a short term CR or a series of them to get up to that deal? Or is this something that could stretch out past the new year? Uh, possible into the new year. I mean, to, to be quite honest, as I've heard some grumblings of that, you know, industry so, industry contacts who are, who are worried about that. Um, but it, it does look like at least uh, there's an offer um, extended by House Democrats to get all the appropriators, uh, you know, bipartisan uh, chairman and rankings together next week um, to, you know, sort of start to have this debate. Um, you know, a lot of the appropriations bills, or at least, uh, you know, have been maybe not, you know, they haven't passed, but they've been drafted. So they're so they're perhaps ready for passage or conference. So, I mean, there, you know, there's as the you know, the spotlight's been on um, infrastructure and reconciliation. You know, the committees have still the appropriators have still done their core you know, work and defense authorizers as well. So there are bills there ready to, you know, the framework is there. It just needs to be kind of, you know, the, really the question is how much is it going to get tweaked up and, and what, you know, priorities, the services, wish list, you know, congressional favorites in, in you know, the, the usual states. Um, but I think so, you know, when, you, when you're looking at the calendar here, we're, we're end of October, right? We're starting to get into some of the holidays. So in terms of working days and things like that, but if, if they can get a deal, the outline of a deal within the, within the next two weeks, um, you might be able to turn that into legislation by the third, but but maybe not, right? And then probably this when this all comes together, 
um, maybe in time for the holiday season. And you tend to call these bills, you know, a big omnibus, a Christmas tree, um, you know, depending on whatever you celebrate. But I'm just using the Christmas tree metaphor because that's what they call because yes. everybody gets to hang their favorite ornaments on it. Right. So you get a lot of, you know, you get a big omnibus bill or omnibus bill. I've heard it called as well. Um, but everybody gets to put their favorites onto it. Um, so you'll have a, a, a kludge of these appropriations bills passed. Um, and again, look, the, you know, the defense won't get passed on its own. Uh, well, or it may if it's at, at a significant number. But again, usually this kind of, this kind of stuff is going to pass by overwhelmingly, you know, 300 and something change votes in the, you know, in the House and, you know, 70, 80, 90 vote, you know, counts in the Senate, you know, for positive votes. Um, but I, but I think the key thing is, is just getting to that deal. It's, it's good that, you know, the, the sooner we get through the infrastructure reconciliation deal, the committees can turn their attention to appropriations and then they'll probably turn their attention to, you know, China legislation and voting rights act and all, you know, all the other stuff that's, that's sort of in the queue. Roman, thanks very much for coming on. It's great insight. I appreciate your time today. Great to be here. Thanks very much. You can find a link to Roman's brief about the defense budget in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. That two-year budget deal Roman Schweizer told you about a few moments ago is still in the works, and it might not happen. What is certain, though, is that agencies are still working through a CR until December 3rd. Casey Coleman is Senior Vice President for Global Public Sector Digital Transformation at Salesforce. She's former Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration. Casey, welcome. It's great to see you. What are you hearing as you're talking to Chief Information Officers across government, your former peers, at the beginning of the fiscal year under CR and the challenges that causing what else is is kind of bubbling in people's minds right now casey welcome francis so good to be here thank you uh, what i'm hearing is really boils down to one word that word is change and more change uh, as we're coming into the fiscal year there's there's so many massive adjustments underway first of all agencies and departments are are working to process all the stimulus money that their programs have received and get that out into the economy into the community that's a huge undertaking uh, on the other hand, there's some measures from the pandemic that are being unwound. Uh, Medicare and Medicaid benefits recipients have to be recertified. That affects tens of millions of people. So on the mission side, there's, there's a, a bunch of change happening. And then on the employee side, internally, agencies are looking to take care of their employees with vac vaccine attestations and setting up the hybrid workplace and making sure that employees have the tools they need to get the job done. So there's there's change everywhere, but the thing that's constant is that the government is still responsible for fulfilling its mission and executing on the trust that is entrusted to them. So that that one thing that's constant is kind of the North Star in the middle of all that's changing around us. What are the kind of changes that you're seeing that are the most difficult for that cohort of people to react to, Casey? I think some of it has to do with the, vo the velocity of change. You know, if you look at the past 18 months, we've gone through the um, health crisis that required a lot of different pivots, things like contact tracing, um, vaccine management, and now uh, things like the uh, returning to the workplace safely, uh, economic challenges. So I think the, the velocity of change has been uh, part of the issue. And I think also just uh, the only organizations that were really prepared for this were the ones that had invested in a digital strategy because we had this perfect storm where demand was increasing for government services and yet the people delivering those services were all of a sudden working from home 
So if you didn't have or didn't very quickly pivot to a digital strategy, that, that left a gap. What do people do who are in a situation where they had that gap and they're trying to play catch up now? Well, fortunately, the technology has matured to the point where you can move really quickly. We've seen it with a, a lot of those organizations we work with. Uh, for example, uh, the state of New Mexico had a 600% spike in unemployment uh, insurance uh, claims, and they uh, stood up a virtual contact center to be able to have all their agents work from home. They put bots in to be able to handle that first line of questions and get information out. And then they were able to process over a billion dollars of claims in, in just a matter of a few weeks. So, so it is possible to move quickly, but there's a, there's a change management and leadership piece of it that is vital because the technology itself is never the whole answer. No, and it, but it strikes me that some of these organizations find themselves in situations where they're having to graft solutions like you just talked about onto yeah. or, uh, networks and organizations that are still kind of operating in a more traditional, more legacy manner. What does that look like and how can that work? And if it can work, how does it work successfully? Yeah, and what we've seen is really what's, what's always worked. It has never been the case that you can take these large monolithic systems that are that systems of record, compliance keeping systems that uh, we've been counting on and using for decades. You're never going to rip and replace those. That's not, uh, that's not a manageable strategy. So what organizations are doing is taking it in pieces. They're looking at the, the engagement layer. How do they provide services to, to their constituents, to the, those that they, they serve, and how do they give their employees connected processes that are available anytime, anywhere, any device. And then they're starting piece by piece to look at the data in those legacy systems and integrate with APIs, lift it up, connect it. And then over time, you can, have, you can build a modernization strategy, but don't, don't boil the ocean. Start with uh, like the high impact engagement piece first and move quickly from there in an agile way. Is that potentially one of the benefits that will come out of the tragedy of the pandemic is that organizations are willing to do it in pieces because they've been forced to over the last 18 months? I mean, you've seen many organizations, I'm sure, in a government at all levels where folks say, well, there's just so much that we have to do. We don't either we don't know where to start or we don't know how to start, or it's too big, so we'll just kind of pick around the edges and keep patching things. And I don't mean patches like security patches. I mean like chicken wire right. and bubble gum and just trying to keep the thing afloat. Is, this, is that maybe one of the big changes that you were alluding to is that organizations will be more willing to take on a piece of a project rather than trying to do the whole thing? I, I certainly think so. Uh, McKinsey has come out with an estimate that we've seen it, really across all industries, but certainly true for public sector, years of innovation packed into weeks and months. And a lot of good discoveries have come out of the, the crisis that we've been through. Things like um, a lot more focus on agile government. I think that may have been one of the things we talked about last time you and I visited is the not just agile technology moving quickly with release new releases of an application, but agile governance, agile budgeting, and uh, HR processes, really looking at how government can move with kind of a minimum viable product with everything that it does. Another thing that you and I talked about the last time that we got together was the idea of uh, the way that government or, uh, governmental organizations will meet the expectations of the citizen that they're serving. Yeah. 
are you seeing agencies getting better at thinking that well i'm not so much concerned about the technology as i'm thinking about that's the way that the organization's culture has changed over the last 18 months in trying to meet the expectations that the citizen has for it i definitely see it and of course you you see you see leading organizations and then you see sort of the bell curve but it that whole that whole bell curve is moving to the right to a more citizen more customer focused constituent focused stakeholder focused service delivery model and there's research to back up the wisdom of doing that uh, that we partnered at salesforce with the boston consulting group to do a survey of over 30,000 people in 36 different countries on what moves the needle with regard to public trust and it is there's so many things that we can't control in this world that have an impact on on trust but one thing that has a clear alignment over 80% uh, correlation is that outstanding customer service digital experience and customer centered service results in a significant improvement in trust and that's true on both the uh, the mission delivery side and on the employee side. Casey, stand by for a second. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast on Friday's show. An app is coming for you to manage your thrift savings plan account. Kim Weaver of the TSP will tell you about that on Friday's Daily Scoop podcast and some other things coming to make managing your account easier. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Friday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Back to my conversation now with Casey Coleman of Salesforce, former CIO at GSA. Casey, you talked about culture a moment ago. What do you think the most important thing is to try to change that culture? Because I know you're a tech expert. I know you work for tech company now, but that culture is really what drives, I mean, it drove the the changes that you made at GSA. You talked about that many times, both to me and other people. I think the main thing, the first thing is to have a have a leadership commitment to to this give people top cover make it a priority and if it's a priority it was the whole organization pays attention and the second thing is going back to that idea of, of agility moving quickly small steps small wins small experimentations not all of which will be positive but all of which will be educational uh, evolve from that pivot if necessary and keep moving the moving part is something that I'm already hearing leaders in government worrying about. The fear is pandemic subsides, people start to come back to the office, and folks let off the gas pedal as far as innovation and change goes. What what prevents that? What would you do in a leadership role in government today to make sure that not only did the people that work for you didn't take their foot off the gas pedal and and um, stop this innovation process, but the people, how do you manage up to make sure that that doesn't happen? I think savvy leaders recognize that this is not just a momentary blip. This is one more step in an evolution that's been happening for 20 or 30 years. If we think about our lives as customers and in our private lives, the, the companies we do business with and the way we live our lives is all digital all the time. It's how we do banking, shopping, uh, socializing, everything. And that's what we expect. We don't drop those expectations when we interact with government or when we come to the government workplace as an employee. We, we expect the tools, we expect the services to uh, match or be better than uh, private industry and, and the commercial sector. And so it, it plays itself out in what the public expects. It plays itself out in how do you 
recruit and retain a workforce that can get the job done. You have to equip them to do so. So I, I really think that this is a like a tectonic shift that we all have to recognize. When you think about the tools that organizations need to equip their people with in order to deliver the ways that we've described in this conversation, what is government good at providing for its people and what is government not good at, so far at least, for providing for its people? Where are the areas that leaders in government should think we need to shore that up in order for employees to be able to continue to deliver, Casey? Well, I always think of government as having been designed from the inside out. So it's designed according to how budgets have been established, according to how legislation was you know, created these organizations. And so what that reflects is an inside out perspective on serving employees and the public. And so it makes things hard like collaboration and managing cases or issues that cross boundaries in organizations. So that, that kind of cross organizational thing is really hard, but we have some amazing examples of success. And one that I, I really love is with the VA where preventing veteran homelessness is a key part of their mission and has been for a long time. They have a, a, an initiative called Squares that now lets um, nonprofits and social services that manage uh, homeless shelters and housing services, uh, when someone shows up with a, uh, you know, with a veteran status, even if they don't have any ID, they can very quickly look them up and determine their veteran status and what benefits they're eligible for. And so what this does is create a, a connected community across all different kinds of organizations that previously had a very hard time talking to each other and very quickly centering on the veteran what they're eligible for and getting them the services that they have earned and, and deserve. VA gets a lot of credit, I think, and, and well-deserved for the emphasis that they put on customer experience, veteran experience. They have an office for one of the first uh, organizations in government, I think, to stand up a uh, customer experience office years ago now. Yeah. What's the special sauce there, do you think, in building that kind of organization that is so focused on whoever it is that the organization is serving the way that VA's done that, Casey? Well, I definitely think leadership that you know and a consistent focus on that mission has been essential. But they've also done a lot to experiment. You know, if you look back, you're right, they've been at this for a while and they've had a number of different initiatives and some of them uh, kind of informed others and they pivoted away from them. So they've, they've used that agile method to learn and evolve and to keep, keep that focus on the veteran customer service at the center, but be pretty fluid with methods and approaches. And not every one of them has worked and not every yeah. approach works in, in other agencies across government. Are we getting better as a community, do you think, at uh, trying to avoid risk aversion and being willing to take chances on stuff, experiment, if it doesn't work, move on in that agile spirit. I think it's a bit of a mixed picture still. Some of it has to do with alignment of incentives. So for example, if the IT organization has one set of mandates and incentives, and yet their partners in finance and procurement and HR aren't aligned with the same incentives, you can find that there's, there's a mismatch and it can be hard to have that agility. So I think that's where it comes to to leaders to, again, look across those organizations and, and look at both where the gaps are the, and, and put that connective tissue and aligned incentives and aligned guidance in place. So you tied together the four organizations that are probably the, the 
keystone for agencies, um, and not just in the federal government either. I'm starting to hear it from people at other levels too. We've got IT that you were kind of just the focus of what we're discussing, but you tie in finance and procurement and HR. Final thought before I let you go, what is what was the key to success that you think you had at GSA and how does that carry over to organizations in 2021 and beyond Casey to tie together those four areas of expertise and really make that a cohesive team that can deliver for everybody across the organization not just in those silos the uh, GSA has been and continues to be just such an innovative place and such a great experience for me and and so many colleagues there who are great leaders. It's an organization that really values uh, experimentation and having a point of view, an informed point of view about the services that it delivers to other agencies. So they do experiment a lot. And when I was there, we had really a great alignment between leadership. Um, uh, the Obama administration at the time had issued policies that really gave top cover for moving to the cloud and moving to open data, some of the initiatives that really became government-wide, GSA had a leadership role in. So, so leadership, we had been together as a team for a while. So we had the ability to trust each other and to uh, you know, know where everyone was on the field and know how the play was gonna unfold. So uh, some of those things are just kind of a, a case textbook about so, you know, lessons learned for success. A lot more I could talk to you about, but I'm grateful for your time today. It's great to see you, Casey Coleman. Thanks very much. Thank you, Francis. You can read more about digital transformation in federal agencies in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes a look at new tools to manage your money and the thrift savings plan is coming on friday's daily scoop podcast until then i'm the host francis rose thanks very much for listening